But it's a good thing that life is bigger than football. And it's a big weekend, not just because of some football game. It's a big weekend because it's rally weekend at all of our campuses at Hope, kind of the unofficial, well, the official uh, start of our fall season as we kick off a lot of new things, not only for kids, but for uh, our students this Wednesday, Power Life and Ignition starting uh, today, new member class after worship today, Alpha this afternoon, Core kicking off, lots of classes. Uh, If you missed 360 uh, earlier, our young adult service for those in their 20s and 30s, uh, Revive uh, is kicking off this Tuesday, so we're excited about that. You don't have to be 20 or 30. You can just act like you're 20 or 30 or feel like you are, and you can come. Uh, we'd love to have you on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock uh, for that. You are invited to get into the game uh, figuratively here this morning to activate your faith. And I was thinking about the game uh, yesterday and, and thinking about there's two great teams. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a boring game uh, for a while, a defensive struggle uh, for a while, but it's still a, it was still a great game. Two great teams. And I think what we often forget about is long before any teams, any sport, not just football, step on the field, there is a set of values, there is a culture that has been created uh, long before they ever stepped on the field. And, and great teams don't just appear, they're made behind the scenes. Iowa State has had this slogan the last couple of years, win in the dark. Win in the dark. What does that mean? It means that what we do when nobody's looking is what makes a difference on Saturday afternoons. It's called integrity, is what that means for us as followers of Jesus. Are we doing the little things behind the scenes? That's what makes great teams. And as I was thinking about that this morning on this rally day when we're kicking off and we're thinking about being a team, what's the best team you've ever been a part of? I'm going to start with that question just to get our minds going. What is the best team or group that you've ever been a part of? And it doesn't have to be just sports. Teams come in a lot of different shapes uh, and forms. It could be a a group or a small group. It could be a church. It could be uh, a musical group or a band or a choir or maybe a a workout group or your yoga group. I see people walking with yoga mats to our parking lot. We might start yoga in the parking lot at some point. Uh, It could be uh, your biking group. Uh, It could be your group at work. Uh, Some of you work together with the same people every day. Some of you have been part of some great teams at your job. Some of you don't like the the people that you're uh, on a team with at your job. What is it that makes a great team, and what's the greatest team you've ever been a part of? And what was it that made it fun? What was it that made it exciting? What, What something about it made it worth it rearranging your schedule over and over again to be a part of that team? Well, here's what I know. Although sports provide a great framework and an analogy for teamwork, this is way bigger than sports. Because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, all of us, all of us, whether you're new to the faith today and and, and new to our church here at Hope, whether you've been coming for a long time, all of us long to be a part of a great team. All of us long to have a place to belong and a mission that's bigger than ourselves. I'm guessing, I was thinking about it, I'm guessing there's none of you that came here this morning because you're bored. Well, I don't have anything else going on, so I think I'll just, you know, walk down to Ingersoll and, and do my thing. You're all here because you're looking for something, aren't you? That you're not finding anywhere else that the world can't offer and the answers that the world throws out there. You're looking for something deeper. You're looking for a a place to belong and a place to be a part of a mission bigger than yourselves. And the good news today is I believe that when the church is at its best, and the church isn't always at its best, you read things in the news about church leaders that have had moral failings and it gets put out there in churches that are dying left and right and all of that. We do know because of scripture that the church will prevail. The church will never end. And not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. God is moving and is building his kingdom. And all over the world, the church is growing. 
And when a church is at its best, it offers all of us exactly what we're looking for, a place of radical belonging and a place of radical mission to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And I'm guessing for some of you when I said, what's the best team you've ever been a part of? Maybe for a lot of you, it's not like church, right? My church team, woo, right? Maybe it wasn't that, but my hope is by the end of today to convince you that maybe this is going to be one of the greatest teams that you've ever been a part of. What does it look like to be the church? And so we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app or whatever it is, uh, I'll assume if you have your phone out that you are tweeting the sermon, uh, that you are diving deeper into Scripture and not checking the score of your favorite team because, well, well, they haven't started yet. So you're good, all right? Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And I want to go back, and I want to look back at just two different ways that the church is described and see what that means for us as the church, as a team today. We're going to go back and look at two ways the church is described. The first one here is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says this, he says, So now you Gentiles, and that's all of us, so he's speaking to us, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Everybody say family. And welcome to the family, by the way. If you're here for the very first time today, or maybe just checking things out, welcome. You are a part of God's family. You are welcome. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You are a part of God's family. Paul's not talking to a random group of people. He's talking to us, the church. You're the family. So next, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You don't want to turn there. That's fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's again is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. All of you together are Christ's body. Everybody say body. You're Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. So the two primary illustrations that Paul uses when writing in the New Testament to describe how the church functions at its best is a family and a body, like a human body. And I believe that he does that. I was thinking about that. Those two illustrations have three things in common. Three things in common between a family and a body. Number one, they have a shared identity. They are made up of individual parts, but they are known by their relationship to each other. If you're in a family, with my family, we share Anansen. That's what we have. That's our identity. We're individuals, but we're part of a whole. The same is true with your body. A hand can't function. An arm can't function. Your shoulder, your head, they can't function on their own. We were designed to be together. They have a shared identity. Number two, families and bodies have shared ownership. In healthy families, not in all families, but in healthy families, everybody contributes. There's not one person that says, no, I'm just going to hang back and let you guys do all the work. Just same as in a healthy body, if you woke up this morning and your right leg just said, I'm not going to work today, right? That wouldn't be good. All the parts work together. And finally, number three, bodies and families have in common a shared purpose, a shared purpose. They have a common goal, which is their reason to come together, provides the reason for them to be connected. And to me, those three things describe a great team as well. When we think of it in a sports analogy, the church, when at its best, functions like a body or a family or a team. And so today, because we're all a part of Team Hope, we're going to dive deeper into what that looks like for us as a church to be healthy, to function like a healthy team. So let's take those one by one. Number one, healthy teams or churches have a shared identity. Everybody say identity. Those are the three things I want you to remember today. If you're keeping track on the front of your bulletin, there's a little uh, place that says sermon notes. Supposedly, if I say something worthwhile, you can write it down uh, and remember it later. So healthy churches have a shared identity. Because the game wasn't very exciting yesterday, I always like to watch 
before the game, like the pregame interviews and the coaches talking. And actually, one of my favorite parts of the game is before kickoff. It's actually when the teams are all out on the field and one team's down there and one team's down there and they're doing their warm-ups and then the buzzer sounds or the, the, the coach blows his whistle and they run together. Have you seen this? They, they sort of run together and they all put their, put their hands together and they go, oh, you know, be all tough and everything like that. And they say, we're number one or whatever. And in that moment, all you see are Hawkeye jerseys or all you see are Cyclone jerseys. Like they have their names on their back, right? But there is a shared identity in that moment and for the next couple hours, you, it does not matter who's the All-American and who's the bench warmer, who, who came from small town Iowa and who came from the city, who, what, whatever their background is. If, if they're young or old or whatever it is, for those moments, they're Hawkeyes. They are Cyclones. They have this shared identity. And we do the same thing. We see the power of that. In, in our teams and the colors that we wear, whether you wore uh, black and gold or, or cardinal and, and yellow to work this week or maybe to school if you had a, had a spirit day or something like that, we have no problem being psyched up and pumped up about our shared identity. There are people that, that'll, that'll paint their chest, you know, Hawkeyes or put a letter on their chest and go crazy. I mean, there were 70,000 people going nuts because they're Hawkeye fans or they're Cyclone fans. And then we get to church and we go, every beat is calling out your name. Right? It's like these are 19, 20-year-old college boys running into each other, and we get more excited about that than the God of the universe sometimes. Somebody think about, right? We have this shared identity. Whoa, I'm a Hawkeye. I'm a cyclone. When's the last time somebody said, who are you? What are you about? Like, I'm a part of the church. C-H-U-R-C-H. No? Okay, I try. I try, right? Here's why this matters, though, in, in all fairness, in, in all seriousness. This is why it matters. We live in a culture, and I don't have to tell you this, that is more and more divided than ever. You have to be on this side or this side, and if we disagree with each other, somehow we hate each other and we can't be friends. We live in a culture that's more divided, and that's why Rally Weekend matters more than ever. That's why the church matters more than ever, because I believe that people are hungry for an identity that is deeper than team colors. I actually believe that people are hungry to be united around a mission that's bigger than winning the latest game or winning the latest debate about politics or our own preferences or opinions. People are hungry for a mission from God. That's what I believe. People are hungry to be united. Yeah, praise God. And I want to I clarify something with that. When I say united around a mission, there is a big difference between uniformity and unity. Ever thought about that? If we were all about uniformity in the church, I'd be like, okay, we all have to wear our Hope t-shirts to, to church every week, and we all have to look the same and think the same and live in the same place and have the same opinions on Facebook and vote the same way. We all have to sing the same note. We all have to do everything the same. That's sameness. I'm not talking about sameness. I'm talking about oneness. I'm talking about unity. Unity says we can be so diverse, and we are as a church, racially, socioeconomically, where you come from, your church backgrounds, all of that. We even let non-Lutherans in here, people. We are diverse. It's nuts, okay? And in our diversity, we can still be united because there's one bigger purpose and mission that's drawing us all together. That's what I love about hope. That's what I love about you. I know we don't agree on everything, and that's the point the point is you're never going to find a church where everybody thinks the same way that you do. That's called a holy huddle. 
We're not called to be a country club for Christians. We're called to be a hospital for sinners. Amen? That's why we exist. So our shared identity is not to all be the same or think or vote the same way. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ who unites us. And when we do that, we start to look a lot like what we read in Scripture. The early church, it's said about them. It's put this way in Acts chapter 4. Let's read it together. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Let's read this together from Acts 4. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus. Was the early church diverse? Yes! All sorts of people with different opinions about what it means to follow God, and who's this Jesus guy, and what do we have to do to be saved? All these different things. And yet we read, it says, they were united in heart and mind. And it's almost like the heartbeat. You walked up to any person as different as they were, they all, their hearts beat for Jesus. They were united around something bigger. They were followers of Jesus. That was their shared identity. And when we have a shared identity, it creates the next key to a great church or team, and that's shared ownership. Everybody say ownership. 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 Whether it's a a family or a human body or a team, it's healthy when every member is just as invested as the next member. Can you imagine if like half of the Hawkeye football team yesterday, like say the defense had a great game, which they did. Let's say the offense, like right before the game started, said uh, to the defense, uh, you guys got it. We're just going to kind of stay on the sideline and, and let you guys do all the work today. I'm sure it'll be fine. I don't care, right? They would get creamed Because every single person on that team is called to do their job, is to play their part, is to do their role. That's what our scripture was talking about today. Every single one of us has a role to play. And if we don't play that role, we're not as healthy as a church family. We're not as healthy as a church body. There's shared ownership. And that starts from the top down. One of the things I love about both coaches, Ferentz and Campbell, is that they are great coaches. They're respected by their peers. They're respected by their players. It's because they don't (laughs) overcoach. The coaches coach, and they let the players play. They don't get in the way. When Iowa was struggling yesterday, you didn't see Coach Ferentz run out there and say, okay, guys, stop. You're playing terrible. I'll take it from here. I'll play, right? I don't do that, right? Players play, and good coaches don't get in the way of their players playing the game. So what does that mean for us as a church? There's players, and there's coaches, and they're maybe not who you think they are. And so I want to invite up Uh, our coaches, some of the people on our coaching staff, if you could give a warm welcome, actually I'm going to do the staff, uh, the staff first, a warm welcome uh, to our church staff uh, as they come out of the woodwork from wherever they are. Uh, Come on up, absolutely. You bet. Welcome them up to the stage if you would. Here they are. Come on up, you guys. Come on up. Somebody grab the mic. There we go. A few of them are actually serving right now, so here comes Ryan sprinting up, absolutely. Somebody's up with the kids right now, right? We didn't all, okay. Nope, nobody's up there with them. Okay, there we go. They got an all iPad. Right. That, that's right. All right, well, I'm going to have them introduce themselves. And uh, we actually took a team picture. There we are uh, up on the screen before the service today. There's our, no, that's maybe not. All right. Chris, start us off. Tell us who you are and uh, what your role is here at Hope Des Moines. Um, I, my name is Chris Kimston. Like I said before, I am the Young Adult and Missions Minister, which means I'm heading up Revive and all the things that involves, including a new worship service every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. if you'd like to come starting this Tuesday. Awesome. And uh, I also uh, oversee our missions and outreach initiatives, so us getting both inside and outside of this building, trying to help our surrounding community and uh, help John with some pastoral things. Awesome. Cool. My name is Jed. I'm uh, one of the worship leaders here, and pretty much my job is to organize musicians, run rehearsals, and prepare music for weekend services, so like what we experienced earlier today. So that's what I do. Awesome. 
My name is Jen Dar. I am the Hospitality and Adult Ministry Coordinator here. Uh, so that means that I get the pleasure of organizing um, all of our hospitality volunteers that make the weekend worship happen. Uh, I also coordinate our classes, so Alpha, Core, Financial Peace University, um, those types of things, and connect people to life groups. Um, and then a couple smaller things I do, I oversee a prayer team and creative arts team. My name is Katie Clay. I'm the nursery coordinator, so I just watch all the babies. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Eric Brown. Uh, I'm the production director, so basically everything you see up here and everything you hear, I, I am involved with that. Um, I also uh, lead a team of amazing volunteers that love to serve behind the scenes. Awesome. My name is Kim Lamb. I'm a ministry assistant, and I help coordinate baptisms, some care items, um, help check in for some of the classes for people attending, um, do behind the scene type items for after the worship services and during the week for supplies and purchases. Ooh. I'm Tiffany Annenson and I'm the operations director, so I do a lot of things facility, communications, admin, um, hospitality, and I am dipping my toes in Hope Kids. Yay. Awesome. Hey everybody, my name is Ryan Tunick. I do everything student ministry from junior high to high school for Power Life at Ignition, which side plug is starting this Wednesday. So <laughs> if you have a student who is looking to get involved, get them there. Uh, also at the Sea, which is starting in two weeks on Friday night. So super pumped for that. Awesome. I know we say this uh, a lot, but we have an incredible staff. There's no way that I could do this all alone. So would you thank them? Absolutely. Thank you guys. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Now we're, we're overflowing on the stage up here as the staff continues to grow. And so you might think, you might get the idea, wow, look at the big staff we have. And John, you're up there. And so we just hire the pastor and a big staff and they're just going to do all the ministry and it's going to be great. So we don't have to do anything, right? We got to get this convoluted idea of what the church is in our heads and who the coaches are and who are the players. Paul gives a different picture of what it looks like to be the church in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll put that up on the screen. Paul says this to the church there in Ephesus. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers, basically who you saw up here, all their different gifts as the leaders of the staff of the church. What is their job? What is their job? Let's read it together. And I'm sorry, it just happens to be in Hawkeye gold. Let's read what's in the gold up there this morning together. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What is the role of the church staff? To do all the work and to have all the fun? To be the only ones on the field? No, it's to equip the church, all of us, to be the church. So back to the football analogy, Paul is saying that pastors and staff are great, but they function best when they let the players play. When they get out of the way and equip people to be who they've been called to be. The role of a coach or church staff, for that matter, is to be a guide to give you the tools and the support and the encouragement and the teaching. But here's the thing. Why would we, why would I want to rob you of the opportunity of the joy of being the church? of the joy of being in the game, not on the sidelines, but in the game doing the ministry. I don't want to get in your way. As the staff, we don't want to get in the way, and that's why I remind our staff all the time, our job is to help people lead their church. Notice I said their church. Ownership. 
shared ownership. It's not my church. It's not the staff's church. It's God's church, ultimately, that he's entrusted to us to help you lead your church. There's a lot of different names out there for leaders and pastors and, you know, priests or ministers or different things like that that lead the church. And so we have a very diverse group, and people come from different church backgrounds. And so often they'll ask me, John, how many ministers do you have at Hope Des Moines? And they've got the idea in their head, and you're like, one, two, or three, you know, the pastors. And Chris and I do pastoral things around here, but they say, how many ministers do you have? And you should see the look of horror on their face when I say, ah, uh, between five and 600. What? Wait a minute, right? Here's the thing. Biblically, if you're doing ministry, you're a minister. You're a minister of a lot of different things. Certain people have been called, and we, there's a high respect and reverence for pastors at Hope, and we're thankful for that but ministry doesn't start and end with me. Oh my gosh, we're not going to go anywhere then. It's flowing through you. You are the ministers and there's no way we could do it alone. Think about all the things that we accomplish together, packaging thousands of meals for people that are, that are hungry right where you're sitting. We can't do that with one or two people. With the staff, we couldn't have renovated uh, the building the way that you did. Some of you that are new to the church, you just walked in here like, oh, it's a church. You're sitting in a car dealership and it took probably 80% of what you see done around you is volunteers every Saturday for months. And we're getting ready to do that again here in a little bit, to renovate more of the building. We can't do that alone. People were here at 6 a.m. this morning preparing breakfast and coffee and serving that to over 100 people uh, that are homeless and low income and sharing the love of Christ in that way. People that serve communion and are ushers or greeters. We can't do church unless you are the church. Some Sunday I want to experiment with this, although I really don't, but I just wonder what would happen if we had no volunteers. Like you just showed up and there was nobody to hang out with your kids. You walked into the building, nobody greeted you. There was no band. There was nobody running the production booth or anything. The lights weren't on, right? The bathrooms weren't cleaned. All of that. We can't do what we do without you. There's coaches, but the players got to play. And particularly I'm thinking about the, the area of hospitality today, how important that is to our mission as a church to be a church that opens its doors wide and welcomes people in. So I would be remiss if I introduced you to the coaches and I didn't introduce you to a couple of our star players here this morning. So we've asked a couple of our hospitality uh, volunteers, David and Laura McCord, to share a little bit. So come on up to the stage. Welcome David and Laura up to the stage, if you would, with me. There we go. David and Laura have been around uh, this church for a long, long time, and so they've had the opportunity to... Uh, to see it grow. So I'll have you guys just uh, introduce yourself, how you came to be involved uh, with Hope Des Moines first. We'll just, we'll start there. Lead us off, Laura. Okay. Uh, my name is Laura, and we've been here 10 years. Wow. And uh, That's cool. uh, it's gotten to see lots of growth yeah. and the foundation built. Yeah. That's awesome. How about you, David? Uh, yes. Well, um, we saw an ad really out at Hope West Des Moines that a church was being started in Des Moines. And we had just moved to Des Moines from Adel. And so we thought, well, that would be interesting. And indeed it has been. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> interesting. That was very kind of you, David. That was good. Uh, particularly the pastor. Um, hey, when you guys think about serving, and you guys have served in a variety of capacities, but specifically today with, with hospitality, and you guys play a lot of different roles with that team, what, uh, what roles have you played on the hospitality team, and what is it that brings you joy? Uh, most people don't think about that, about serving and joy together, but what roles have you played, and what brings you joy about that? Okay, well, we've, um, in the hospitality area, we've 
been ushers and served communion and helped with the new member class. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's joy in that mm -hmm. it's making people feel welcome, mm -hmm. and I think that's very important. And it's not a real difficult job because it's very well organized by mm -hmm. Jen. You, mm -hmm. you walk in mm -hmm. and, and you have prayer time and you become part of a team, and, mm -hmm. and that's, that's great. Yeah, how about you, David? What roles have you played? Um, the same roles, mm -hmm. uh, and one thing that really gives me joy is we usually serve at this service, the 11 o'clock service, um, and so we're supposed to be here at 1030, and so we get to see the <laughs> first service let out and the second crowd arrive, and for us, having been here since the very beginning, it's just wonderful to see um, the first service letting out and all that group of people, uh, which is in some ways a different group of people than the 11 o'clock service. You get to see the kids coming down mm -hmm. from the nursery mm -hmm. uh, and the uh, Hope kids and meeting their parents. Mm -hmm. uh, you get to see people interacting, um, and that just brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. Hopefully you can find a parking spot when you come to 11. Sometimes the preacher gets long-winded, and then we have big issues with that. But uh, when you guys think about serving, I think a lot of people think about it, and everybody's busy. Everybody's got full schedules, and they're thinking, oh, I don't need one more thing to commit to. One more thing to volunteer to. What is it about serving that actually fills you guys up? What, what is it that, versus just coming and kind of taking in a, a weekend experience, how does serving change your worship experience? How does it actually fill you up? Um, well, we, we serve once a month, um, mm -hmm. and I find that on the Sundays that we're serving, I'm more focused on mm -hmm. what's going on. Uh, I have to pay more attention. Um, and that's really good for me because my mind can wander. But when you have responsibilities, when you're part of the team uh, that's necessary for the event to function well, then you really have to pay attention. Yeah. Um, and one thing I really love is serving communion. Hmm. Um, it's, a, a, of course, a profound experience to take communion, but it's a really profound experience in a different way to be the person who is saying to each person who comes up to you, here is the blood of Christ shed yeah. for you, yeah. or here is the body of Christ broken for you. Right. That has, that's a very profound thing. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you, Laura? Well, I love the scripture mm. this morning where it mm. said, um, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that yeah. important, which is <laughs> really true. And I think it's great uh, to have some servant roles it, yeah. and to realize what a joy uh, I, I'm glad that I have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know that there are so many uh, amazing servants and all-stars uh, on our team out there, but I want to thank you guys today for everything that you do and every single one of our amazing volunteers. So let's thank David and Laura for everything that they do. Thank you, guys. I don't know if you heard this, but I feel like in all of their answers, there's kind of this resounding theme, giving is so much more satisfying than consuming. Giving is so much more satisfying than consuming. Laura referenced the, the passage from Galatians this morning. It's pretty straightforward. You, if you're above serving, check your heart. If you think that you're above that somehow, check who we're following. Do you remember that the God that we're following got down on his hands and knees and washed people's feet? 
So if I think that somehow as the pastor of the church that I'm above setting up tables or chairs or cleaning up coffee spills or, or scraping gum off the floor or whatever it is, I'm not above any of that. I never will be and none of us will be because we follow a servant as our God, the, she, the servant of all Jesus is called. So we're not above any of that. And it's actually this amazing thing happens, as David and Laura were talking about, we actually get filled up. The world says, meet your needs first. Make sure that you're happy, then think about other people. Jesus says, if you actually die to yourself and put other people first and serve, you're actually going to get more filled up than you ever would have by trying to meet your own needs. Jesus flips it on its head. Serving is where it's at. We receive so much more. But again, the goal isn't, oh, I'm served because I feel good. I serve because it, it makes me feel better. We serve because it's our purpose. And that's the third key to a healthy team or a healthy church is it's a shared purpose. Everybody say purpose. Back to the game for a second. I guarantee that from the moment those players walked onto campus, many, many months ago, it was made clear by the coaching staff and the administration, these are our goals for you. This is our purpose. This is our center. This is why we exist. And apparently, they all thought it was worth giving in for, going all in for, because why else would they commit to year-round training and conditioning and, and endless workouts and game film unless there was a deeper motivation? I know at Iowa, they have this mantra that, the, the mantra that says, win, graduate, do it right. I don't know if you've heard that before. Win, graduate, do it right. We know what that tells me. It's not just about winning. That's part of it. It's really important. We want to compete well. But ultimately, if you would ask what it is about their purpose uh, there is to build men of integrity, is to build men for the future, husbands and fathers and leaders in the community. It's way bigger than a football game. It's not perfect and they don't always meet it, but the target is the same. If you think about it this way in maybe more of a visual sense, every group, every team, every church, every organization, every company that you've ever worked for probably is trying to answer these three questions. And it's kind of, you can see these three questions in sort of a concentric circle as it moves outward. Every group, every church, every team, every organization has, the first question is, a what what it is that they do. And that's pretty straightforward, right? Coca-Cola sells soda, right? Apple sells computers and products. Nike sells athletic apparel. As the church, we connect people with Jesus. That's, that's what we do in a variety of ways. But there's also a how. Everybody say how. There's a how. How do they accomplish that? That gets into strategy and, and, and things like that and practice and discipline if you're on a football team. But then at the dead center, and this is the one that most companies and churches and groups and teams forget about, it's the why. It's not the what, it's the why. What is the reason you get up in the morning? What is the deeper purpose that's driving your life? What, what, what is it? And you can talk about that in terms of, of uh, collectively and in groups, but you could also talk about it individually. What is your why? What, what's, what's the reason that you get out of bed every morning? What's the reason you go to work? What's the reason you, you do what you do? Show me your schedule, show me your bank account, and I'll tell you your why. <laughs> it, it, what's visible to the world is often our what and our how, but do you have a why? What, what is your why? Is, is it making money? <laughs> is it climbing the ladder at work? Is it getting a different job? Is it, is it, is it finding a soulmate? Is it, is it having great friends? And none of those things are necessarily bad. They just can't ultimately fill your soul at the end of the day, and they're not going to last forever. 
Is it just getting more material possessions or money or whatever it is and going through life that way? Ultimately, we won't find satisfaction and purpose in this life until our why intersects with God's why. Not our will with God's name slapped on top of it. Have you connected your why with an eternal purpose of something that's going to matter after you're gone? What does your schedule tell you? What does your bank account tell you? What are your priorities in this life tell you? I can see what you do, but why do you do it? So as individuals, but also as the church, as a member of Lutheran Church of Hope, whether you come to the new member class or not, my heart is that all of us would be able to answer those questions. What is our why? I go back to John 17, 3. John puts it this way. Now this is eternal life. So he's getting our attention, okay? You guys, this is it, okay? If you want to find life, this is it. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, find Jesus, find life. Discover Jesus, discover life. Our why, our, our red-hot center, why we do everything that we do as a church is because there was a man named Jesus who came and lived and died on that cross and rose again so that we could have life now and forever. It's the life, it's the soul-satisfying love of God that everybody is looking for, whether they can say it out loud or verbalize it or not. That's why we do everything that we do. Amen? We have to come back to the middle. We have to come back to our why. And that informs everything else that we do. If our why is to get people, as, people connected to Jesus Christ as possible, our how becomes very clear. How do we do that? We teach people to follow Jesus, and that's called discipleship. And all these things that we do, we help people look more and more like Jesus. If you want to find that soul-satisfying love and life and freedom in Jesus— we have to learn to walk as Jesus walked. And then we get to the what. And then that informs our what. And so that's why we serve. And that's why we volunteer. And that's why we join groups. And that's why we worship. And that's why we pray. And that's why we eat donut holes and everything that we do, right? For the glory of God. Our why informs our what. Healthy organizations, healthy teams, healthy groups, healthy families, healthy churches always move from the inside out. Their why is the driving motivation behind their what, and it informs everything that we do. However, the danger is, as Christians, is we often live from the outside in. Maybe you've said this before, or thought this, or heard other people say this, depending on what the church culture that you came from. I, you know, I, I probably should get involved. I should probably serve. You know, Pastor John's up there talking about serving. and get, I should do this. I should go to worship a little bit more. I should pray a little bit more. I should buy a Bible. I, 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 I should join a small group. I should volunteer more, whatever it is. And God says, check your heart. You're operating from the outside in. All these things you think you need to do. Paul puts it this way, actually, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read this together uh, up on the screen. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some of you are like, oh yeah, John, that's about money, right? Well, we talk about that when we do our giving campaigns, but it's way bigger than finances. It's about your time and your talent and your treasure. Giving back to God and serving and doing all those things comes from a heart that is overflowing because you are so filled up and you start from the why and move out to the what. 
Think about it this way. Some of you maybe uh, need a visual wondering why, uh, if I'm really thirsty today for Sprite or something like that, but um, I hope this works. Okay, so a lot of us, well, all of us have been, I get all choked up thinking about it, all of us have been given certain gifts and skills and time. All of us have the same amount of time. I don't think this is the one that was rolling around in my car. Oh, okay. That's the wrong one. I don't want to do that one. Okay, we'll do this one instead. Okay, that's good. All of us have been filled up, and we come into a church, and a lot of you have only been here for six months, a year, two years, and we come into a church, and we're all filled up, and we get all fired up, or we hear a sermon about serving and getting involved. We're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get busy for God, and I'm going to serve, and we just pour out, and we sign up, and we help, and we serve, and we give. We go, and we get busy for God. And we do all these things, and we come to church every weekend, and, and oh, we just serve, it's splashing in my eyes. We grow, and we serve, and we get involved, and we just pour ourselves out and say, God, look at all these things I'm doing for you. It's amazing. I pour myself out, and we wake up one day and go, <clears throat> why do I feel so empty? Why am I so tired? Why am I burned out on church? And here's the thing. We have an incredibly active congregation. You are an incredible church. You serve in amazing ways, and you give, and you give, and you give, and you pour out, and then we wonder sometimes why we have compassion fatigue, <laughs> or we're so busy or so exhausted at the end of the week. It's because we get, forget that as Christians, your number one job is not to pour out. Your number one job is to allow God to pour into you and to fill you up with the power of his Holy Spirit to the place where you can't help but overflow. You think about it this way, so many of you serve, but what we forget is that God calls us to come to worship every single week, to worship every single week, not to be busy for God, but to come to worship, to worship, to get poured into, to join a small group, to, 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 to study God's word, to have devotion time together, to study God's word with other people and individually, to let God pour into you every single day to the point where serving becomes the overflow of worship, not a replacement for it. It's not, well, I can't worship this week because I'm serving. God's like, time out. Your number one job is to remember that you are the worshiper and I'm the one being worshiped. You are not God. And I'm not calling you to burn yourself out doing things for God. You are a human being, not a human doing. So allow yourself to get filled up by God. And then this amazing thing happens. We, we allow God to fill us up. And then something that the power of the Holy Spirit does is it comes and it shakes us up. Like it knocks us out of our comfort zone. This is really Sprite, by the way. Uh, it knocks us out of our comfort zone. It shakes us up. It, it moves us to take leaps of faith and try things and serve and volunteer and do things we've never been before. And you hear a sermon that kind of rattles you up and gets under your skin and you want to change and grow and, and be transformed and you want to uh, get out of your comfort zone and the Holy Spirit just shakes us all up. And then all we have to do is just take off the lid. You want to help me with that? No, no, okay, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Anybody want to take that off, right? No, you try, right? No, I'm serious. I'll do it, right? Okay, now I'm going to make my point. So what happens if I take that off? Right? I don't have to say, overflow, work harder. It just happens. We're not the ones with the power. We're not the ones doing all the work. God, it's God's power of his Holy Spirit at work within us that overflows to the point where we say, of course I'm going to serve. What, what, what do you need? I'm not serving the church, you're not serving me, you're serving God, and his opinion of you is the only one that matters. Of course I'll usher, of course I'll serve communion, of course I'll serve coffee, whatever it is, because serving is not something that I think about, it's just, it's not something I do. A servant is somebody that I am, and it comes so naturally that it just overflows out of me. 
Amazing things happen when you find your why. And my challenge for some of you is to rediscover your why. It's not religion. Can't satisfy your soul. It's not being a good moral person. It's not being busy for God. It's not climbing the ladder at work. It's not making more money. It's finding your why in something that's eternal to connect with building God's kingdom. What's the why behind everything you do? And at different seasons of your life, God may help you rediscover your why. If you're in a job transition right now, if you just had a child, if you're growing your family, if you got laid, whatever it is, God's in that and he wants you to redefine, he wants to redefine what your why is. Amazing things happen when we find that why, that purpose in our lives. And nobody knows that better, hear me out, than the Iowa Hawkeyes. And I'm not just saying that, right? Uh, Not just picking the team at random. This story that I want to close with today isn't even about football. It's bigger than that. It's not even about a player on this year's team. Some of you remember this story from about five or four or five years ago. There was a young man that played for Iowa named Brett Greenwood. And most importantly, what you'll find is that this story is about a young man like a lot of us that's super busy, chasing after the wind, essentially, with schedules that are full and priorities and running around and filling our calendars with everything that we can, trying to get filled up on what the world can say, all the what that we get busy with. And it took a tragedy and him going through the most difficult thing he's ever gone through to help him rediscover his why. Let's take a look. This is where it began for Brett Greenwood. In Iowa's Kinnick Stadium tunnel, in the darkness, and then into the light. Solid, man. Keep those hips square. And this is where Greenwood is now in a daily fist fight against fate. Doing awesome. 30 seconds. Strong with the right. That determination, it was, that's just him. That's just built in him. His mental makeup, his determination, uh, his strong will, it's, it's extraordinary. All the way down, all the way down to it, then all the way up, last one. Good job. Good, really good. Two, one. Good. Greenwood was born in Iowa, played high school ball in Iowa, and was passed over for a scholarship by every major program, including Iowa. So what did the underdog do? He walked on at Iowa. He had that look like, I'm gonna show you guys how stupid you are. Uh, You don't realize I'm a really good football player, and he did shortly thereafter. The end zone, juggled and intercepted. As a senior team captain in 2010, Greenwood led the Big Ten in interceptions. And in 2011, he was among the last cuts made by the Pittsburgh Steelers. A week later, on September 9th, while working out at his high school field in Bettendorf, the 23-year-old Greenwood collapsed and was rushed to the hospital. The ambulance got there and uh, the back doors just burst open and uh, two of the paramedics were working on Brett. The first two times they put the defibrillator on, nothing happened. One of the EMTs yelled out and, and said, this is not your day, Brett, we worked too hard. And uh, the third one, they got a pulse. The EMT just turned and just hugged me. You know, he was in tears. Can you tell me about the day that you heard of his collapse? 
Yeah, there are things you remember your whole life, and that's certainly one of them. A heart arrhythmia had triggered the collapse. He had suffered a very severe brain injury. One of the suggestions was you might consider just uh, taking him home and removing the feeding tube and let nature take its course. And I can remember one of the head doctors, I held his hand saying, I don't want to let my son go. When he came out of his coma, it was like, I compare it to like a newborn baby, relearning everything, learning how to swallow, learning how to eat, learn how to, to walk. Then this past summer, after four years and more than 6,000 hours of rehab, Iowa asked Greenwood to lead the Hawkeyes out of that tunnel again. He's the epitome of man, he's the epitome of an American. Do they say never walk? And tomorrow he's going to lead you guys on the field. You always say, you know, Brett, you're, you're strong. I used to be. You know, Brett, you're, you're tough. I used to be. Brett, you're a badass. I used to be. This time, he got to actually see how badass he was. Coming out of the tunnel, I really thought he was going to try to take off running. Please join the Iowa Hawkeyes in welcoming back to historic Kinnick Stadium. The fans, the hear the crowd behind him. It just brought such joy to him to know that they were behind him. You talk about will and determination. Special ball for you, Brett. They're still praying for you. They're still rooting for you to get better. That day when Iowa took the field, every single player on that team knew their why. And it was way bigger than winning a football game. And for Brett, 6,000 hours of rehab will tell you he refound his why as well. Someday I'm gonna walk back out on that field on my own two feet with my, with my family, with my team right there beside me. Brett knew that in his team he had a place of radical belonging and a bigger purpose than winning football games anymore. These are brothers in arms, this is my family, this is my team. And you can have that too. But you got to step out in faith. You can't hide and be a part of the church. Every single one of us, and some of you are up against it today. Some of you, maybe this is your first time here and you came alone and you're wondering, does anybody care? I believe that when the church is at its best, it is that that team, that group that's walking behind us, and even a couple key people that you know, maybe your small group, maybe somebody just like, 
Brett had and his friend Pat there that was right beside him whispering in his ear, don't give up, you can do this, keep going. Don't let life get you down. God's bigger than this. I'm praying for you, one foot in front of the other, keep walking. Every single one of us longs for that and you can have that. When the church is at its best, it's that team that you can't wait to be a part of. Join the team today. Flip your bulletin over and say, I'll sign up for hospitality. Write it down and go, go turn it in afterwards. Just do it. It's who you were created to be. And you're not going to know the benefits of something until you experience it. Join the team. Join the family. Maybe today is finally the day to come to new member class. Saying, I've been bouncing around and doing, you know, doing helicopter church. You know, zooming down, popping in, trying that church, popping back up. Well, they made me mad or I didn't like that or I didn't like that. Families disappoint people sometimes. Families aren't perfect, but families never leave you. They never give up on you. And they walk beside you and next to you saying, this is the way. Let's go together. Let's be the church together. Be a part of a family. It's rally week at Hope. It's time for the kickoff. Join the team. Join the family. Take a class. Get in the game these next few weeks. It's time to be the church. Find your why. Because life is way bigger than a football game. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray together. God, for some of us, this might be the first time in a long time that we have paused. In the midst of our crazy, hectic lives, God, we pause this morning and say that we've, for some of us, we've lost our way. We've gotten so wrapped up in the what. We get so wrapped up in our to-do lists and our agendas and all the, all the baggage and the wounds that we carry with us. Jesus, we want to rediscover you. Would you fill us up with your purposes, with your will, with the power of your Holy Spirit as we begin this new season together as a church. God, would you redefine that for us, that we would become a family, that we would become even more of a body with a shared identity and shared ownership and a shared purpose that is the heartbeat of this church. God, we long for people to know you because it's where life is found. It's so much more than religion. So Jesus, light the fire in us again. Bring us back to our first love. Fill us up, Jesus, this morning with the power of your love. Rally us together as the church, as the greatest team that we could ever be a part of, with a mission that's bigger than us, with a mission that's connected with your mission, that's going to last forever, that's going to change people's lives for eternity. God, fill us up and remind us of that. Pour your love into our hearts so that it bubbles up and it overflows from us to where we can't help reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us first. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Folks, the new member class is going to start in a few minutes. We'd love to see you up there. Before you leave today, say hi to a couple people around you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.